Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for week 17, uh, Wednesday of week 17, coming at you from February 8th of 2023. Uh, I'm your primary host, Karsten, and since it's a Wednesday, I'm once again joined by my uh, co-host and good friend, Justin. Uh, how are you doing today, Justin? Woo! I'm doing good. I'm doing really well, and it's a a pleasure to be here, and I'm grateful as always, Carson. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for bringing the hype. That was pretty. Uh, that was pretty exciting there. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we got a lot of big news, and so I think you'll continue to kick us off. But I'm excited for how this episode's going to turn out. Oh, absolutely! You know, the last 24 hours isolated has been one of the more eventful 24 hours in in basketball history, NBA history, uh, certainly. Um, and let's just get get it started with, you know, if you haven't heard of this, heard about this, uh, I imagine you're maybe living under a rock. It was the thing we've been talking about the whole season leading up to last night. Um, we thought it might be the night and it was. We want to congratulate LeBron James for passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to become the NBA's all time leading scorer. Um, he had already been number one in playoff scoring, uh, total playoff points, and now he's number one all-time uh, regular season points, along with uh, his continual rising in the assist totals. He's number four all-time in assists. Those two combined is even more impressive, perhaps, than the the points total itself, but the points themselves are already impressive. A record that stood for nearly 40 years. Many thought it would never be broken and it was broken. Uh, Justin and I were talking, we were both watching it happen live. Justin, what were your kind of thoughts about being able to, you know, see that live and the, the energy of the crowd from what we saw on TV, of course, none of, neither of us were lucky enough to be there in person, but um, you know, just from what we were able to see secondhand, you know, through, through TV and things like that, what was your experience with this moment? Gosh, it was epic to be able to, I don't know. You know you're watching or witnessing something historic when they pause a game in the middle of the game and they take like a 10-minute TV break, right, to have LeBron walk in a circle and put his hands up and have the whole crowd go absolutely ballistic. Right, some of the people that went to that game paid over $110,000 to sit like courtside, right? And so we got to see a record broken that's been standing for, you know, longer than how long we've been alive for not to expose us on the internet, but we, I just, I think it's so awesome and wonderful that we got to be alive and got to witness something live. That's that historic. That, that was my thought too, is we'll be able to look back on this and say to, you know, people 10, 20 years from now and say, Hey, I, I, I remember watching that game when LeBron broke the scoring record and how amazing that moment was, you know, and, and there definitely was that crowd was tremendous. They knew the moment they had a great energy. As soon as the game tipped off, LeBron first touches the ball and the crowd immediately rises and they're, they're ready for him to start, you know, chasing the record down. And um, it, it was just, yeah, a great moment. I remember before the game started, the uh, commentary crew, they said something like, uh, the NBA has said what they're going to let whatever happens happens as far as, you know, when the moment occurs, when he passes Kareem, um, as far as, yeah, game stopping, honoring that. Um, it was just before the end of the third quarter that he officially hit that fading jumper. That photo itself, I'm sure, will be added to the 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 annals of great photos in NBA history, certainly. Um you know, a great, great moment all around. Um, not sure we can really add much more to what's already been said kind of ad nauseum. Justin, you have a comment? I, I was going to say, I have one more question for you, and it's the question you're going to be seeing all over ESPN and mm -hmm. the entirety of the sports world probably already have. How do you think that this affects LeBron's legacy? There's his, does, there's it, the... <laughs> does it raise him in the GOAT, you know, ladder? Does it not affect anything? Is it more of a volume stat? What do you think? So the semi-meme question from Justin, it's become a touch of a meme in recent. Like, have you seen that where it's just, you know, the most innocuous thing, not even related to a player, and it's like, how does this affect such and such legacy, you know? Because it's like sometimes we yeah. take those, those kind of questions far. But, you know, as far as, you know, a more legitimate 
response to that question, you know, you ask it in a legitimate fashion. I think that um, that's going to certainly strengthen his case for one of the greatest of all time. For me, the way I approach it is kind of a cop-out answer as far as, oh, who's the greatest? I would have it as a three-way tie, and it's three players who are the greatest in kind of different areas. Um, And this isn't quite exactly what you asked, but I kind of wanted to touch on this anyways as far as, you know, you have Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I'd say, are the top three uh, kind of in – maybe a tie in some sort of, you know, one, a one B um, Kareem, the greatest center of all time, um, you know, multiple time champion, multiple time MVP um, greatest at the, you know, the, the game's history's greatest position, as far as the center, the most dominant position for much of the, the game's history. You have Michael Jordan, who's the greatest icon of the game. And, uh, someone who was really responsible for bringing the game forward, you know, in that era where the NBA became a true, uh, you know, dominant league in the the sports world and uh, was a great winner in his own right, of course, you know, a, a champion. And for LeBron, the longevity, the versatility to his game, the scoring and assisting, um, you know, that would be so there's kind of legacies and there's multiple things that all those guys did great. Kind of a long winded answer to your question, but um that's how I look at it. I don't know if you look at it in kind of a similar way, but of course. I think it's a fairly universal thought at this point, maybe less controversial than it used to be, to say that LeBron is as great as Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's always an individual comparison done and some people have their entire careers based off of building their rhetoric for one or the other, right? If you think of people like Skip Bayless or Shannon Sharp, right? That's that's essentially their whole job is to sit in a booth and yell at each other about who's the best. Um, and I think at this point, the game has evolved and changed so much, particularly from Kareem's day till now, that you really shouldn't even be comparing apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. We ought to just look at the the individual accomplishments of the players and realize that we've been able to watch greatness happen and we've been able to watch it happen for half a century at this point. Yeah. And so I think we're extremely lucky to have grown up in the era where we could see the greatest or if one of, if not the greatest players to ever play. And we got to stand on the shoulders of giants and Kareem and MJ and even throw in some of the older, older guys like Bill Russell in there. I think basketball has come a long way and we get to watch it at its very best. Yeah. And I'm right with you there. The best part of being an NBA fan and a fan of basketball is seeing that evolution, appreciating what happened in the past, the greats that have gone before, seeing the the great players of today's era. And then that, you know, okay, who's up next and who's going to be a next guy to emerge for a team? What teams are going to win championships in the future? You know, that's, that's the joy of being an NBA fan. Um, yeah. Just overall a phenomenal night tremendous to be a part of even you know just sitting at home watching on the tv as as a fan you know both of us our perspective and most people's perspective being able to watch that live um truly a special moment um with that being said let's go ahead and shift into what we normally kind of start the show with as far as our uh game summaries let's jump right into that we had six games last night um justin i think the way we'll do this um i'll just rattle through all of these and then maybe we can jump back and look at some of these games a little bit more deeply if we want to at a certain point. Some of these games may be a little bit more straightforward. Does that kind of sound like a plan? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go for it. Perfect. Let's get right into it. Firstly, uh, the the New York Knicks win on the road in Orlando against the Magic, 102-98. to Pretty close game. And it was actually a comeback victory for the Knicks. They trailed for much of this game. Uh, pretty close back and forth affair in the fourth quarter uh, before they're ultimately able to come out on top for the magic. They were led by Markel Fultz this time in the scoring department. He had 21 points. Uh, let's see. Franz Wagner had 18. Paolo Bancaro had 16. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And Maurice Wagner both added 13 points of their own. But for the Knicks, it was Brunson, Randall and Barrett combining to lead the charge for the Knicks. 25 points for Jalen Brunson, 22 and 14 boards for Julius Randle, the 
all-star this season and RJ Barrett, 15 points. They also got 18 off the bench from Emmanuel quickly as the Knicks beat the uh, surprise magic. The magic have been a little more competitive than maybe we anticipated uh, going into the season. Next, the Phoenix Suns winning in Brooklyn against the Nets, 116-112, to 112, and the Suns having to overcome uh, another monster scoring game from Cam Thomas. That'll be probably the main takeaway from this game. Pretty back and forth, and uh, the Suns held a big lead in the fourth that actually got really close in the last few minutes. I watched it live, got into that free throw game, um, but the Suns still able to come out with a victory. Uh, for Brooklyn, though, we mentioned Cam Thomas. He had 43 points in this game. That was his third straight game of 40 or more points uh, in the last three games. Uh, I'm sure I'll have a, more to talk about that within within uh, in just a minute. Excuse me. Uh, two other guys had 17 each. That's Nick Claxton and TJ Warren. Claxton also had 13 boards. Uh, but for the Suns, monster game from DeAndre Ayton, 35 and 15. Uh, 21 for Mikhail Bridges and 19 for Devin Booker in his return to the starting lineup uh, after missing several weeks with an injury. Uh, Chris Paul with 12 assists as well for the Suns to get the victory. Justin, I guess maybe let's get your comments real quick on Cam Thomas, what your thoughts are on his recent tear, especially in the wake of Kyrie's departure. That guy has come out of nowhere and he's really fun to watch and he's really good at basketball and I hope he gets more opportunity. There's my (laughs) 20 second take. No, perfect. That's great. And uh, I remember, I think it was his just after he'd been drafted before his rookie regular season started, he was uh, a, a standout in the summer league. And, you know, there was there's been, you know, a few moments here and there in the regular season for him as far as a nice little bench appearance. But now that he's been starting these last couple of games, he's suddenly been lighting it up, you know, seizing the means of uh the the reins of opportunity i suppose and maybe he's a bright spot in this kind of cloudy nets uh era these last week this last week or two maybe he's a guy that can step up break out and be a a scoring threat alongside uh durant and then the recently reacquired spencer dinwiddie uh so certainly something to be seen great game for him but then overall a great win for uh phoenix as they continue to build that momentum over the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's jump to that next game. The New Orleans Pelicans win at home uh, against the Atlanta Hawks, 116-107. to 107. That's the Pelicans' third straight victory after about eight or nine straight losses. Maybe, might have been ten straight losses. So they're starting to right the ship. They led by as much as 16 in this game to win it. Uh, for Atlanta, they had uh, 16 points and 16 assists from Trey Young. Nice game. Uh, 22 from DeJounte Murray and 20, or excuse me, 19 for DeJounte Murray and 22 off the bench for Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, a sleeper six man of the year candidate. Uh, but for the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram has continued to be solid, 30 points with eight assists. They also got 21 from the McCollum, 16 points, 14 boards for Valanchunas as the Pelicans get that much needed win. Um Next, the Memphis Grizzlies win at home against the Chicago Bulls, 104-89. to uh, That ends their recent three-game losing streak. Uh, pretty convincing leads throughout, although Chicago took a brief lead at the end of the third. Uh, for Chicago, they had 28-17 and from Vucevic. He's had a strong last couple of games. 24 from Levine. Uh, but for the Grizzlies, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. led the charge there. Uh, 34 for Morant, 24 for Jaron Jackson Jr., Uh, Next, the Denver Nuggets win at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 146 to 112. Huge victory. Uh, Jokic had a triple-double in the first half as the Nuggets kind of steamrolled the Timberwolves there. Uh, For the Timberwolves, they were led by 19 each from Luka Garza off the bench, as well as Anthony Edwards. And then they had, uh, the Nuggets had 30 points from Michael Porter Jr., 24 from Aaron Gordon, and then 20 points, 16 assists, 12 boards for Jokic. He continues to be uh, absolutely incredible this season. Finally, we come back to kind of where we started the episode, that Lakers game. Unfortunately, they did lose at home in that stellar night for LeBron, 133 to 132, the visiting Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, And it was a a fairly competitive game throughout, although Oklahoma City uh, never trailed after they built the lead going into the halftime break. for the Lakers, of course, it was LeBron's night. He had 38 points in that record-setting affair. Seven boards, three assists, three steals. Very efficient from the floor. They also had 27 off the bench from Westbrook. 
but for the Thunder, they had great games from uh, Shakel just Alexander, 30 points kind of as usual for him this season. 25 from Jalen L.E.N. Williams and 20 from Josh Giddy. They also had 16 off the bench from Muscala and 15 off the bench from Isaiah Joe. Uh, kind of a surprise scoring there from Isaiah Joe and the, the Thunder get the win against the Lakers. Um, and I'll kind of lead into your thoughts on, I'm not sure if you had a chance to see this report or not, but there was some conversation around some Lakers other than LeBron after this game. Um, Westbrook reportedly either during halftime or after the game, getting into a shouting match with uh, coach Darvin ham reportedly um, not sure the specifics specifics on that. And then there's been some talking heads talk uh, about Anthony Davis's body language on the bench during the moment that LeBron broke the scoring record. Um, I, I guess let's start with the Westbrook thing, knowing what we know now about a trade, we'll get into the trade in just a moment. Um, Kind of how do you think we would sum up Westbrook's year this year? We know what we had as far as, as far as our thoughts with Westbrook last season with the Lakers. What would you say for Westbrook this season as far as the Lakers and what he did? So I have to give a brief disclaimer before I answer this question. Okay. Um, Russell Westbrook has been and maybe still currently is one of my favorite players of all time. Um, I remember the revenge year for Russell Westbrook when he first averaged a triple-double. It was the year after KD left. And it was the one of the most impressive individual seasons I've ever seen. I became a huge Russ fan. Um, and that's kind of gone away a little bit since then. However, with his trade to the Lakers and in the situation where he plays with the glass man, Anthony Davis, who's made out of nothing but glass and, <laughs> the, glass and man. the goat, I think he's had an opportunity to take a lot of flack for the issues that the Lakers have had. And I don't know if that all of the flack that he's got has been justified or if it has been um, understated. It's been kind of hard to tell, but I just, I think he gets a lot of crap and I think that he's a solid player, but I don't think he's in a very good fit with the Lakers. And so maybe with his recent trade to Utah if they buy him out, he'll go somewhere else. I just saw a report that said he's eyeballing the Clippers. I think if he goes somewhere else, he could be in a better situation, but I don't know if he's going to be able to ever be as good as he was back in the day. Right. Well, and he is getting a little bit older. It's going to be kind of a uphill battle from, from here on out, as far as being that the player that he has been for much of his career, Um, you know, Justin alluded to that trade. We'll have a chance to talk a little more in depth with that in just a moment. Um, yeah, kind of a interesting. I remember when they first made that trade to bring in Westbrook, and I thought, you know, regardless of my, you know, mostly off relationship, a kind of on and off relationship with Westbrook as a fan, as far as he's a guy that most of the time I've seen as, you know, uh, an antagonist, you know, whether it was the Thunder Jazz series or when he was, you know, with the, the Rockets for a little bit, you know, he's been a guy that tended to root against, but he's still a, a high level player. One of the best uh, in, in league history, you know, with what he's been able to do statistically. Um, but I remember when they first brought him in, it just seemed like an odd fit. You know, LeBron usually does best, uh, especially in this back half of his career, does best with floor spacers around him. You know, uh, we saw it in Cleveland. They had uh, J.R. Smith and Shumper and later on Corver, you know, and he can drive and kick out. And that's when the team worked best. And to have a ball dominant guy like Westbrook alongside LeBron, it just seemed like an odd fit. And that's been kind of the thing throughout his whole Lakers stretch is it just was an odd fit. And I think you said that same thing. And so, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about his kind of future landing spots. But um, I want to add real quick before we move on a side note for the Thunder here. Credit to them for winning this game. There's, you know, talk about having to play through stuff. You're having to play through all of this attention. The game stops before the third quarter ends, like you said, for, you know, 10-minute speech where LeBron's thanking people. The cap comes out on the floor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, they're doing this whole ceremony. You're still leading at that point. You've had to play through your young team and give them credit. If you're going to be proud of a regular season win for a team that doesn't really look playoff bound. This is maybe the most proud to be of a team in that kind of a situation. And maybe that's a bold statement, but like 
heck of a win under the circumstances. And this is a great sign for Thunder fans as that team continues to build towards uh, being back as a competitive team in the NBA. Um, don't know if Justin, if you have any kind of you know comments building off that, or if you're good with us moving on to the the news. Well, I think it's pretty cool and significant that they continue to play hard and win the game, even after LeBron had his moment, right? So in a lot of cases, right, like even in someone like Kobe Bryant's farewell game, right, the Jazz kind of sold it so that Kobe could get his 60 points and could walk off into the sunset, you know, on a glowing chariot. But in this case, I think this was a legitimate game all the way down to the wire. And the Thunder played hard enough to win. And so I respect the crap out of the organization for not just letting the game tank in honor of the GOAT. Because I think it kind of takes away from how good the game actually was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially, you know, when it was, okay, he needs one more basket to pass that record. And Kenrich Williams was, you know, matched up with him. He didn't make it easy. You know, LeBron still hit a tough shot. Give LeBron credit to hit that tough fading jumper to actually take the record officially. But Kenrich Williams made him work for that basket, and they were competitive the whole game, and they ended up winning the game. So, again, props to them. Great sign for the Thunder as they continue to to build uh, on the you know success they've had this season. It'll be very interesting to see when what happens next season when they get Holmgren back uh, and he's actually able to play out a rookie season. That'll be very intriguing to watch out for. Um, okay, we'll jump to our key news next. And again, kind of similar to what we did with our games. I will run through all these news items real quick, and then we'll have a chance to discuss in detail, mostly the trades that have happened to, uh, you know, really give that, you know, the time that it needs to really break down each team's position, what players will kind of look like going forward, things of that nature. Uh, so let's get right into it. Of course, we already mentioned LeBron passing Kareem. We don't need to double down on that news. So let's jump to the next item. Uh, Three-team trade. This broke just a few hours ago. Three-team deal between the Los Angeles Lakers, the Utah Jazz, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, The Lakers in this deal receive D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. The Utah Jazz receive Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and Damian Jones. And the Timberwolves receive Mike Conley Jr. and uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. The Jazz also receive uh, a little bit of trade uh, or, excuse me, draft considerations, some draft picks. I forgot to take note of exactly what what picks, but that just adds to their further stockpile of picks. Uh, So that was the big news from tonight's trades. We also had another notable trade. Uh, Portland sends Josh Hart to the New York Knicks for several players. Cam Reddish, Ryan Archidiakono, Svi Mikhailuk, and a 2023 lottery-protected first-round pick. And I hope I'm reporting this part correctly. If that pick does not convey, meaning the pick ends up being in the lottery and the Knicks therefore hold on to the pick, the Portland Trailblazers would instead receive four future second round picks. So a lot of parts from New York going to Portland, the Knicks get back Josh Hart, who's been a bright spot for Portland this season. Certainly we'll have a lot to talk about with that. One more trade note. I want to make a correction for a trade I reported yesterday. Um, the trade that sent uh, Kessler Edwards to the Kings. The Brooklyn Nets will receive something in return. They receive the draft rights to guard David Michonneau, a French point guard who was drafted in 2016 or 2017. His rights have been moved around a bit. He's still yet to come over to the NBA. So they do receive something. Um couple other let's see one other transaction the Miami Heat signed guard uh J- let's see it, Bouye I forget what his first name was what was his first name I write down the last name thinking I'm going to remember the first name and then I I don't remember it because it's a player that I quite honestly had not heard of until today Jamari Bouye to a 10-day contract um Final notes, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, Zion Williamson has been officially ruled out for All-Star Weekend, much like Kevin Durant. Uh, Kyrie Irving did make his debut tonight for the the Mavericks versus the Clippers. And finally, the NBA Celebrity Game, uh, the players for the Celebrity Game have been announced. Uh, that game, of course, taking place during All-Star Weekend. Uh, so you can see all your favorite C-list celebrities uh, battle it out <laughs> on the NBA hardwood. Um Okay, so now that I've kind of 
zoomed through all of those news. I apologize if that was a little too quick, but let's, like I said, dwell on those trades, probably more on that first trade we talked about, the three-team deal, the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Timberwolves. Justin, we talked a little bit before on the show about your thoughts. We kind of maybe have some mixed feelings. Uh, Give us your thoughts on maybe the Utah perspective, as both of us being Jazz fans. I'll let you take the Utah perspective on their side of the deal and what this means for them going forward. Well, if this was 2017, I would be ecstatic to be getting Russell Westbrook. Um, But it's not unfortunately, and it looks as if the Jazz are just going to end up being the money mules to buy out his contract and ship him somewhere else. Um, And knowing the Jazz, if I was them, I think I would use his um, position and his salary opening as a position of leverage, and I'd try to get either some more picks out of other teams for him, or I would try to get some more role-type players to see if we can build through the draft, build slowly and through the draft has worked for teams. And if I was a jazz, that's exactly what I would do. Right. Well, and that's Um, certainly what they've been kind of leaning into, right? They've been building up that draft capital with, you know, this off season's moves. Um, Yeah. You had some other, some other thoughts. Yeah. My other thoughts were, I think it's, it's pretty, I don't know. I always feel a little bit sad when players leave Utah. Right. And so I think it's, it'll be tough for Jared Vanderbilt and for Mike Conley. Um, everybody here seems to like them. And so I think good luck to them and their new teams. And hopefully they enjoy L.A. and Minnesota or wherever they got <laughs> shipped to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, just to refresh. Yeah. So we have uh, Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander Walker. They're going to Minnesota. And then Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley are going to the Lakers. We will, as jazz fans, we'll speak as you know, jazz fans specifically for a little bit. Let's wish all four of those guys the best in their new positions. You know, they're hopefully we see the best for them, but we also want to, you know, see the best for our team. Uh, And we, you know, Westbrook, like you mentioned, he's probably a buyout uh, position. We also get Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones. Not sure it'll be huge rotation pieces, but Toscano Anderson's shown some flashes. He was a nice kind of ninth or 10th guy for the Warriors uh, a couple of seasons ago. Damian Jones has had you know a handful of moments here and there, so they could bring some value. It's hard to say, but um, I guess I'll kind of talk about the uh, Lakers' perspective from this trade, and I think you know it's a great deal for the the Lakers, and it's kind of a necessary deal. You know, we talked briefly a little while ago about Russell Westbrook's fit in LA, how it hasn't panned out the way they kind of hoped. It wasn't a complete disaster, I wouldn't say that, but it was not a great fit. And so being able to move on from Westbrook, get that contract off their books and to bring in uh, kind of right or wrong. You know, there's a lot of people who said, oh, the Lakers gave up D'Angelo Russell. And what if they'd held on to him and had him for this, this LeBron and Anthony Davis group? Well, now they've got him back and he's uh, shooting the most efficiently from the floor. He's shot his whole career from field goal, from three point and from the free throw line. He's had the best percentage percentages of his whole career. So now you had a guy who's kind of the antithesis of Westbrook in that, you know, strong shooter as a point guard. You pair him with LeBron and AD. They've gotten healthy again. I think it's a great fit for the Lakers. They also get Malik Beasley, who's going to further add that shooting and that scoring touch. Vanderbilt adds some inside defensive presence. I think it makes all the sense in the world for the Lakers, especially if they're looking this season and the next season or two to be immediately competitive, this is a great move for them. Uh, Justin, I don't know, maybe you have some additional thoughts on that or kind of want to echo those same thoughts. Yeah, I concur with what you've said. Um, I think the Lakers have done a a very, very good job so far in the acquisitions they've been able to make, at least the last set of while, right? They had a trash team, blew it up, built a good team, kind of blew it up, and then built trash again is what it seems like. So maybe they're in their cycle of blowing up the trash and seeing if they can get some floor spacing pieces to fit around LeBron. So I think Vanderbilt will fit in well. Um, If they can get D'Angelo Russell to be a little less ball dominant and come back to LA and actually fit, I think that would be good too. 
Yeah, no, I think that I think it's a great move. And, you know, you mentioned kind of blowing it up, building it back. I think a lot of that stems from just this last season and how disastrous of a season that was for the Lakers. And they're trying to, you know, rectify all the wrongs they did, especially in building that roster. They had so much older talent, declining talent and talent that didn't really fit together. They've cleared that out. They've brought in young players and now they're adding talented young players and shooting. They're improving their floor spacing and they're kind of riding the wrongs they've had in the past. I feel like, you know, we've talked on multiple occasions of, oh, the new look Lakers. That's been kind of the conversation the last several years. But I really think that this trade deadline move really puts them in a much better position than they've been in uh, since probably, you know, after they won that championship in 2020, puts them in a really good position to be competitive in a suddenly wide open West, uh, much more open than we've seen it in uh, the last several seasons. So certainly a great move. Maybe let's chat a little bit about Minnesota. They're kind of the last element of this. Of course, they're giving up the biggest piece, D'Angelo Russell, and they get Mike Conley, who's uh, an older uh, point guard presence, more of a distributor, but can still shoot kind of comparable in some ways to Russell. They're both lefties, so that's something. But um, they also get Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And outside of that, I'm kind of mystified a bit as far as Minnesota's exact goal here, although maybe they're just trying to you know, give the reins over a little bit more to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, though Towns is out with injury. Uh, Justin, maybe your thoughts on their side of this trade. I think Minnesota dug themselves into a hole before the beginning of the season when trading for Rudy Gobert. Um, they liquefied so many of their potential assets and gave them up for um, an idea, and the idea didn't end up panning out. The, the Twin Towers in Minnesota don't play well together, and because of how basketball is played with spacing and uh, you know passing efficiency being the most important part of the game, I think it's it's kind of, I don't know, maybe if you took their team and dumped them in like the late 80s, they would have been really good. But as of right now, I just think they, they, they don't have it figured out. And so I think they're going to try to make some smart moves um, given the position they're in. And I think this was an all right move for them. Right. I guess uh, the question is, so they take on Conley's contract instead of Russell's. And that's maybe a concern for Minnesota with Conley making uh, much more per season. I think he still has a couple of years on that contract, Uh, potentially a concern for Minnesota. But, you know, Anthony Edwards seemingly is the main piece along with Towns. But Edwards has been kind of continuing to elevate his game. Towns has been a solid all-star type player, but he has had injury concerns. You know, so is it maybe just we're willing to take on Conley's deal and give him and allow him to be a veteran on the squad for the next couple of years because we have time? Is that maybe the outlook? Or um, I don't know. I guess maybe that's the that would be my outlook. But what are your thoughts on that, Justin? I think the reason it's a good move for Minnesota is because Mike Conley is a veteran mm-hmm. and he has always been known to be kind of one of the lower aggressive efficiency solid basketball player guys Mm. right like he's he's never been flashy he's never been super noticed I feel like and that's probably a really good fit for Minnesota um they'll have somebody who can move the ball somebody can distribute um someone who isn't going to play a lot for themselves which I think was one of the problems with D'Angelo Russell Mm. Um, and so yeah I think that it's it could be a solid move I just think they're in a really weird position Gotcha. No, yeah, it's it's an odd spot, but I, I think you definitely hit it right on the head as far as, you know, Conley being a less, not that Russell was a, a ball hog, that's not it, but he's certainly a little bit more inclined to his own scoring. Conley is a lot more inclined to being a, a pure playmaker. So I think that maybe makes a little more sense as far as fitting with Anthony Edwards. And yeah, still, I mean, they invested a lot for the Gobert Towns experiment. You touched on that. It's probably too early for them to say it's failed completely up to this point. Like you said, the returns aren't great, but you imagine they'll probably want to give that some more time as well. So they bring in Conley to kind of support that from that perspective, it works. And the Timberwolves kind of, as they have been, the season will be interesting to see what they do as far as 
you know, continuing to refine this roster or attempt to refine the roster as uh, this season and the next season goes on. Um, let's chat just for a minute about that secondary trade uh, that just reported maybe about an hour or two ago. It was super recent. Um, the Josh Hart to New York for, you know, a, a bunch of guys and some, some draft capital. Uh, what do you think uh, is in New York side of this? What, what Josh Hart brings to the Knicks maybe as a role or just his style of play, how that fits with what New York does. To me, this just seems like your classic New York Knicks move, right? They have Meaning. a bunch of, they have a bunch of solid young players and they see an opportunity to overplay someone and overpay someone. Um, and so they flip a lot of their possibly progressing assets in order to get something that's probably not worth the value they put into it. And I think this is the mistake that they've made again. And now I could eat my words, but Josh Hart is averaging nine and a half points a game, um, eight rebounds and four assists, which is solid. And if he got more playing time, I'm sure he could play better than that. But I just think like you've given up an awful lot for a guy who's never been thought of as that amazing. Obviously he's a solid player and people really like him, but I just, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty awesome that, um, hold up. Yeah. That the Blazers were able to get so much opportunity from the Knicks, even out of a player like Josh Hart. Right. Well, and the draft uh, draft pick scenario, again, I'm hope, hoping I'm reporting this correctly, but that's the part that's really interesting to me because they, the, the Trailblazers either get a lottery or, or a pick just outside the lottery in this upcoming draft, or they get a bunch of second round picks, which both would have pretty good value, you know, and kind of building their squad for the future. They get reddish. And it's kind of interesting. I believe it was last year's trade deadline where the Knicks acquired Reddish from the Hawks. Um, and it was sort of that same vein of a guy who's who's on the bench and he can contribute to our bench in New York. And he was okay, but he doesn't wasn't really that special. I feel like it could be different with Josh Hart, though. I feel like Josh Hart is a, a little bit of an above-average bench player, especially with his rebounding touch. I've you mentioned it a couple of times on the show. He really impresses me with his rebounding ability as a guard, really a guard. I mean, a six, five shooting guard. They play him as like a small forward a lot of times, but to be grabbing eight rebounds a game is phenomenal. And it's kind of an odd skill set, especially for today's game. But I like that as a, you know, an above average bench guy, along with some stretch ability, you know, working within a team concept. You mentioned he, you know, met dishes out a bunch of assists a game. I like that fit. And again, you know, the track record for the Knicks, as far as transactions overall, over the last 20 years, we would both agree is not stellar. So we tend to be hesitant about a move like this. And there's some cause for concern, but there's also that possibility that it works out. And I like Josh Hart as a player. And I feel like it could work out well for New York. Um, as far as the Portland side, you know, they're in kind of an odd spot. As far as competing this season, I think it hurts their chances. Reddish is an okay player, I mentioned already, but, you know, I think he's not as good as Josh Hart. You get some some bench help, some guys that have been kind of journeymen, Archie Diacono and Mikhailuk, but you add your draft capital and maybe you use that as a, a piece and maybe some trades in the future if they're trying to build, uh, you know – if I was Portland, I feel like I'd have a sense of urgency. We got to build now for Damian Lillard, but they haven't really had a sense of urgency for the past four or five seasons. But maybe I'm, you know, speaking a little bit too harshly about Portland. I don't know, but um, I think you're all right. I think it's funny. I just saw a tweet from um, Larry Nance Jr. Mm -hmm. And he just said, I own a house in Portland and Josh Hart owns a house in New Orleans. So we're planning on just kind of swapping so there I don't know go. what that means, but apparently that's blowing up because I think Larry Nance plays for um, the Pelicans, right? He plays for yep. New Orleans. Yep, he is on the Pelicans. But it's interesting because he he was with Portland last season. I think that's why he's saying it because um, both – let's see, Nance was in 
Portland. Hart was in New Orleans at one point. And then uh, Hart went to Portland. Nance went to uh, New Orleans. And so I think that's what it was. I, I don't know. I, again, I'm not sure which tweet in particular you're talking about, but it's it's hard to say. Um, yeah, it, kind of an interesting trade overall. Um, Justin, do you have any other additional comments on that before we kind of jump to our next segment? I really don't have too much more on that. I don't think it's going to be that big of a move. Gotcha. No, that's fair. Again, I mean, some of these trades, like we've talked about in the past, we had a big one, a couple big ones today to talk about. But, you know, sometimes with the trade deadline, we're so hungry for that news. We can make trades out to be bigger news than they are. And maybe this is a trade that will overall not mean much for either of these teams. But it's it's hard to say, you know, regardless, it's fun to speculate and talk about the new possibilities. Um, and speaking of the trade deadline, again, that is tomorrow. We're going to have a special trade deadline episode where we'll um, kind of hone in, give a, a full recap on all the trade deadline moves. Um, it might be a really short show and we say there really wasn't much else that happened. Or it could be a crazy show with all sorts of moves. Could be somewhere in the middle. Uh, it's hard to say, but again, make sure you stay tuned for that tomorrow as we recap the trade deadline in full. Um, to kind of wrap us up for today, let's jump to our more normal weekly, uh, our Wednesday show rather type stuff. And that's our weekly predictions. Uh, each week on this show on Wednesday, Justin and I make a random prediction. It can be about a specific player, could be about a team, could be about any number of things. Um, and we just, you know, throw these predictions out there. Um, some of these could be way off. Some of them could be really close to the mark. The fun part will be at the end of the season, we're probably going to kind of compile these together, take a look back and see how far or how close either of us were with our predictions. Um, I guess I will go ahead and start if that's okay, Justin. Yeah, please do go for it. Okay, perfect. Again, I mentioned to Justin that my prediction might be a bit of a stretch. Normally we've been kind of focusing on, this season, maybe the next season, as far as, you know, short-term predictions. Mine's a little bit of a longer-term prediction, and it's kind of abstract. But I'll talk you through it after I state what exactly this prediction is. My prediction is that within five years' time, we will see an NBA team, I'm not sure what team, an NBA team revolutionize defense and end the era of three-point emphasis. Now, here's, here's, here's the, way, the, the reason I say this. And it was kind of spur of the moment, me just being negative for no real reason. I was watching some game earlier today, and, you know, it was kind of what some games devolve into for a few minutes' time. You know, guys just trading threes back and forth. You know, I'm not trying to deride the three-point emphasis as a whole. There's been some tremendous basketball played for the majority of the last couple of seasons offensively it's been spectacular there's a lot of strategy and great sets but there's also a lot of times you know you're a team you're playing your 50th game of the season you're at home the crowd's not super into it and you're a struggling team you know just chuck some threes and it kind of you know you go through the motions and it gets to that point and again we've also had that offensive explosion over the last two or three years pace of play percentages, things like that going up. You know, I compare it to the NFL a little bit. We've seen at times where, you know, the defense catches up to the offense and they change the rules. We haven't seen a lot of that with the NBA. You know, the game has changed and the offense has sped ahead of the defense. I feel like we're due for that defense to catch up. You know, we go through these spurts of offensive-dominated basketball for several seasons and then defensive-dominated. You compare an era like the 80s with – a bunch of high scoring teams and players to an era like the late nineties and early two thousands, where there was stifling defense, especially in the East. I mean, teams were lucky to score more than a hundred a game on a consistent basis. And so I feel like we're going to see some team, you know, kind of make a move to close that gap, switch that flip or flip that switch rather. Um, and and make a change again maybe i'm rambling a little bit maybe i'm still kind of odd with the selection but that's my prediction what are your thoughts on that justin that is such a fun and interesting selection for a, a hot take i guess you'd mm -hmm. say or a prediction because i absolutely agree with that i think that's so cool 
I've noticed, right, looking back over basketball history, that there are kind of, like what you said, there have been peaks and valleys as far as offense and defense being more stressed and more important in the league. And rules have been updated um, to favor offense or to favor defense, depending on one or the other getting too good almost. And so I, I could absolutely imagine a defensive revolution over the next few years and kind of slow things back down to around 100 points a game. Right. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate your concurring with my my potential prediction here. I like it. I'm excited to hear what your prediction is, Justin. All right. Mine is maybe less thoughtful than yours because mine might be mainstream, but I've got it right here. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Oh. I lost it. Um, <laughs> my prediction, anyways, if it will let me hire, uh, highlight it, I'm struggling, is that Triple J, the game, the cerebral assassin, is going to be the defensive player of the year this season. Okay. I like that. Um, I think he's terrific at defense. He plays like a monster when he's at home. Um, I think he's got the refs on his payroll. And I think he absolutely just deserves it. He's playing like Ben Wallace. He's kind of psycho. He blocks a ton of shots. He's tough. He's mean. He'll punch you below the belt, as Donovan Mitchell found out. I just I think he's a really good candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. And I love the nickname, the Cerebral Assassin. And so mm-hmm. he's my pick for DPOY. Okay. First off, I think that's a great prediction, you know, and it's, it's maybe like you said, mainstream, but it's still a good prediction. You know, he's right there in that running. I think he's um, technically not a rate quote unquote rate qualifier because he hasn't played as many games as some other guys, but that aside, he's averaging 3.3 blocks per game, which would lead the league in, in blocks. And I think that's one of the higher block totals we've seen in quite some time. He's been stellar. Um, you're throwing out the the nicknames. What was the one you said for um oh who was it earlier? You had a nickname for somebody. Oh, Glassman for for Anthony Davis. <laughs> for Anthony Davis, yeah. The the man uh, made of glass. Man made of glass. I was gonna say, yeah. do we need I do love... we need to add that to basketball reference their page of nicknames? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just pay them to edit their own research and just start changing all the nicknames to whatever i think there you go and that way Glassman and cerebral assassin and triple h and or triple j and the game those will all mm-hmm. stick i was gonna say are, are those your nicknames or have you seen those somewhere those are partially those those are kind of his and also kind of related to hunter hearst helmsley who is a wwe wrestler they call him oh, triple h or okay. the game gotcha so, back to the wwe thing but I, I think they're good nicknames, and I think he's uh, a little bit psychotic. So I like I like when guys play out of their mind like that. Gotcha. Playing alongside a Dylan Brooks. You mentioned the Donovan Mitchell thing, uh, of course. <laughs> that was Brooks, but, I mean, J, Triple J's there. And so the Grizzlies have that kind of, you know, it's a, it's a different style, but it's sort of in the same vein as the grit and grind Grizzlies, maybe a little bit more of a uh, – aggressive or intimidating whatever the correct word is you want to use tone with that defense uh which kind of fits with what you're talking about with a defensive team you know seeing that aggressive defense make a return i kind of like that um yeah i think it's a good pick and again it's you know it's not too crazy but again you're just more likely to be proven correct once we get to the end of the season so uh so yeah great prediction i really like that justin um okay thank you for concurring with my pick too i appreciate it no, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and uh, and wrap things up here. Oh, I do want to mention one, one other thing before we jump to that last segment. Um, Justin, of course, predicting our Defensive Player of the Year for this season. Uh, I touched on that uh, a bit myself. Last episode, we did our awards race conversation. And I made a pick for each award as far as who I think will win at the end of the season. Uh, we will have that posted on our Instagram page, along with Justin and Wyatt's full predictions as well. Uh, if you're not following the Instagram page already, that's crossover across time, all one word, no caps. Uh, we post content like that, predictions. We also do power rankings, and we do our best to like and share content from across the NBA. So definitely uh, give that a follow if you want to stay up to date on the NBA. Um, with that, let's go ahead and give you our This Day in History fact. Uh, February 8th, we're going back to 1986. 
February 8th of 1986, five foot seven Spud Webb of the Atlanta Hawks scored two perfect scores of 50 to beat teammate Dominique Wilkins in Spud's hometown of Dallas during the Nestle Crunch Slam Dunk Contest. Also that same day and that same weekend, the AT&T three-point shootout debuted with Larry Bird capturing the first crown in that first ever three-point contest. What a weekend. Both those events, very very standout moments in NBA history, wouldn't you say? Oh, most definitely. (laughs) I was just going to say – if you're if you want to add a side note as far as history stuff with that Larry Bird three-point shootout again it was the first ever three-point contest there's a story from I think Danny Ainge is the one that has said it on from time to time um they're in that locker room prior to the three-point contest kind of gather around Larry Bird walks in he looks around for a minute and he says oh I'm just looking to see who's going to come second and that's one of the all-time great trash talk <laughs> stories in NBA history <laughs> One of one of my favorite things ever was a post interview that I listened to with him, mm-hmm. right? And he talks about hitting the last two shots, right? And he shoots the money ball for the win, splashes it, and just keeps his hand up in the air and waves to the crowd on his way out. Yeah. He said that was a greater feeling than winning the championship in 1986. Really? Looking back, yeah. He had such a pop from the crowd for winning that three-point contest that he he kind of – started the whole love of three-point shots and was just so good and so confident got such an amazing reaction from the crowd i think ah, i'm just a big fan of larry bird oh glad that, glad that he's got some accolades probably my number two um small forward to ever play the game small slash power forward so yeah staying. No, yeah, he's he's a great player. You said that was a, a Post article? It was like New York Post or Washington Post? No, it, I just mean Post in the sense of after. Right? Oh, like a, gotcha. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I can find the article later, not during this podcast, because it wouldn't be relevant for time. But I just, I think that's such a cool thing, right? I just, I wish we had more players that were that confident and that cocky and that good and could just play with out of their minds. Yeah, no, Larry Bird, one of the greats all time. And we mentioned the trash talk. If you want to have you know a fun YouTube video to, to look up after this podcast, look up Larry Bird trash talk. I think there's a few different compilations of some of his best trash talk moments. He's and you wouldn't you wouldn't think it looking at him. He's he's this, you know, kind of gaunt, non-athletic white guy. But not only was he a killer as far as his play, but he would, you know, deliver the final blow with his talk on the floor. And he was he was a killer in every sense of the word on the floor. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and uh, and wrap things up for today's show. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I think it's been a great show. Again, we will have with tomorrow's show a focus on the trade deadline, uh, wrapping up every additional move along with the moves that we talked about today and kind of what team's outlooks are going forward. Um, Justin, any comments before we go ahead and wrap things up? Just like to thank you once again for letting me be here. I'm grateful for the chance to get to share some words on this special occasion after Braun passing the all-time scoring record. And um, yeah, we'll be signing off soon. Follow us on Instagram at Crossover Cross Time. Absolutely, yes. Follow the Instagram page. Thank you, Justin, for being on the show. And again, thanks to our audience for listening. And we'll be back with you tomorrow.